Other than the typical, the guy who reads it does a terrible job. We, uh... You do a fine job. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, man, this is a, it's a tough chapter, I think. Um, I, I have a couple sentences in here. I think together they encapsulate the entirety of the chapter. And then I'm going to talk about uh, the, the trap I think we can fall into when we talk about the urgency. But we, we live uh, in a world, and the two paragraphs I typed out here are, people who die without Christ go to hell forever. The only way they can hear about the gospel is through us. We are in a battle, and the casualties are real. We must awaken from the American dream to gospel reality. We've only got one life to live and a short time to live it. Thus, we should leverage our lives for all they're worth and think about this soberly. Soon we stand before King Jesus and we will give an account for what we did with what he placed in our hands. And then, people in the world who do not know Christ are headed for a destruction far worse than that presented by the fallen bridge. Millions more are headed there now. Every day you should think about what Christ gave up so that you would not perish. Then you should ask God to help you do for others what he has done for you. The part I really, really like about this chapter is he talks about how living a life of urgency doesn't look the same for everybody. Um, that would be, not only would that be boring, but that would be ineffective. We don't need, I know Pastor Travis likes to talk about the body sometimes, and when we talk about the body, we don't have 800 hands, and like, that would be a weird looking body. Uh, we have some hands, we have some feet, we have some knees, we have some elbows. We all have different tasks that should function together to carry out the plan for God. So I don't think you should listen to this and think, ah, oh, I've got to do this like JD did, or I've got to do this like anyone else did. I don't think you should walk away with that. But I do think we should walk away with a sense of urgency, a sense of we have been blessed with something. And if we talked last week about radical generosity, uh, as, and as you have been to me, so I will be to others. The way to do that in terms of salvation is to share the gospel, is to tell people. First Peter says, always be prepared to give an account of the joy that is within you. We should be prepared to give that account of the joy that's within us. Sometimes it's easier than others. Uh, sometimes it's more fun than others, uh, but the reality is, is that we should be like that guy who saw that portion of the bridge had fallen down and he saw cars driving to their deaths. He also talked about how when you see a kid on a train track and a train coming, you don't sit down and say, God, what am I supposed to do? You say, well, of course, what, I, what I'm supposed to do is free the kid save his life and so we have been presented with a world where there are some obvious choices that we should make 
There are some obvious things that we should do. And so what I want to accent from this, and there's not a lot I could add to the fact that it's urgent, so um, is I want to tell you to be patient. Missions is urgent. Um, a lot of people hear the word urgent and they think, I've got to go do things, and we equate urgency with doing things right away. So I've got some notes from a guy by the name of John Manley. He's a very, yeah, very manly, yes. So um, I'm going to read some of what he says and then comment on it. But you will see in what he writes, pictures of urgent patience and how healthy ecclesiology is missional. So here we go. Our world is one of instant gratification. The slogan, your way, right away, has seeped beyond fast food into our very thinking. Uh, Whether it's advancing technology uh, or the general zeitgeist, if you will, of our times, instant gratification affects everything, including the church. And that's the society in which we live. Now, this guy, John Manley, is a pastor who lives in the United Arab Emirates. Um, when he wrote these, he had been there four years. He's not been there eight years. So he's become familiar with different missions, organizations, movements, and philosophies. And he says, what's generally true is that they have a deep desire to see the gospel go forward and Jesus Christ made known. What concerns him as a pastor in the UAE is the way speed and quickness are elevated as virtues and dominate missions thinking. Uh, the gospel is eventually, is, 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 is always, it's eternally serious business. It's inextricably tied to the glory of God and the destinies of real people. But given the stakes, there's been a good and right recovery of the urgent task to see the gospel go to the world's hardest places and least reached peoples. And this is a guy who's in UAE, so that's, it's not North Korea, but it's, it's on the top list of, of countries that are tough to reach. And he says, and yet if we're not careful, I feel we will wrongly identify urgency with speed, failing to remember that a task can be urgent and yet demand a slow, methodical approach that thinks in years and decades instead of days and months. I know I am constantly, chronically, if you will, being chastised for only thinking in minutes and days and never thinking in years or decades. And that is certainly a weakness I have, but I don't think it's just me. I think it's something culturally we have. But I think the church desperately needs to recover categories for both urgency and patience. And I have a little outline for you here. When we start with pictures of urgent patience, the first place we go is to Zechariah 4.10. So those of you who have Bibles can turn to Zechariah 4.10. That's in the Old Testament, towards the end. Those of you who don't like the Old Testament, start liking it. (laughs) Somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of your Bible is the Old Testament. You know what uh, is two-thirds or three-quarters of our world? Water. The Old Testament is as important to the Bible as water is to earth. Okay? You should, you should like the Old Testament. And it's just great. But that's a discussion for another day. So in chapter 4, he 
starting verse 7. It says, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hand shall also finish it, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. So you're seeing the urgency. He's been sent unto you. But then in verse 10, he says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. He's talking about don't despise the day of small things. We tend to despise days of small things. I know. I do. Um, I, I know I took a parenting class once where they, the guy said, I hope you're there for the big points in your kid's life. But if you're only there for the big points in your kid's life, they will not be big points and they will not be meaningful to you because you were not there for the mundane. And so when... When God describes, in this case, we have Zerubbabel, and I'll let you read the whole book to get a better picture of that. But basically, we have an urgency here, an urgency for God's people, and yet he is telling them, do not despise the day of small things. While God can use his servants to speed the gospel forward, he usually uses the gospel to root slowly and start small. As those who've been taught not to despise the day of small things, we should be careful that our approach to missions is more concerned with being faithful than fast. One of the verses that I am chronically encouraged by is in 1 Corinthians, I think it's 3.11, but that's not important, where it says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. When we talk about it, how many of you have ever taken care of plants? I know I have not. I've seen other people do it. I've seen plants grow. Usually the kind I see are called weeds, but they're quite delightful. They're nice and colorful. They're green. They look good. Uh, But if you've ever taken care of plants, it's not just you throw some seeds down, throw some water on it, and voila, like Jack in that beanstalk story. That's how that works, right? He had magic beans. But that's not normal. What normally happens is it takes... Days, weeks, months, years of toil for you to see the progress you'd like to see. That's the picture we have here in Zechariah. It's not one of we go share the gospel with people and voila, they're saved and it's all over. That would be, it's nice when a story that mirrors that a little bit happens. But what we see is commonly an urgency that's marked by patience. One that we know people need the gospel. We know that how can they hear unless we tell them. But we also know that that's not telling them one time. That's an ongoing, what I like to always say is an ongoing present imperative. It's an imperative, we have to do it. It's present, but it's ongoing. We don't tell them the gospel once. If we're friends with someone, we tell them the gospel multiple times. When you told the story about Ahmed, There may have been one time at the end, but he was constantly telling him about Jesus and how Jesus can change your life. And if we do that and leave the results to God, that's 
what we do. So in our urgency, we need to be patient. Some other examples are in Titus. Paul left Titus in Crete to put what remained in order. Um, He didn't move on carelessly. And then when they came back, Paul and Barnabas preached the gospel in Derbe, Iconium, and Lystra. And he did so. He didn't immediately rush back, but he knew that Titus was doing the work there and he would come back. And when he did, um, he, he appointed elders in every city to strengthen the souls of the disciples. You don't see in Paul a, let's preach the gospel once and people will be saved. That's, that's not a terrible thing, but that's not the model that we see portrayed in Scripture over and over and over again. What we see is our urgency accompanied by patience. Patience. I don't know how many of you remember when my friend Samuel Fuller, who also came on the podcast, for those of you who listen, uh, when he came and preached here and he preached about the parable of the soils. And he talked about growing in the soil. And again, going back to what we just said, you don't see results in soil immediately. And when you do, that's often not the best way. When you see the best soil is that which takes effect slowly over time and you gradually see that increased. So all of that to say, as we look at missions and we need to be urgent in our missions, but we must not confuse urgency with expedience. We, can, we need to accompany our urgency with patience. Does anyone have a comment on that? Anyone like, I need to correct you, Matt? Anyone? No comments, questions, insertions, deletions? All right, well, then I guess I'll just keep talking. Uh, Paul, because he believed Jesus' teaching about the heart, didn't leave newly reborn, spirit-indwelt Christians to fend for themselves once it appeared the gospel had taken root. He labored to ensure that faithful, biblically structured churches led by biblically sound pastors were raised up and left behind. And so what does that mean to us today? Well, again, when we share the gospel with someone, there's discipleship. As I was talking to Miss Barbara before the class, I was teaching a real estate class. That is why my voice is not as good. Maybe it's better. Maybe you're like, man, I wish you could sound like this all the time. <laughs> I can't do anything about that, but maybe, maybe. But, uh, so I taught a lot, but one of the things we talk about in that real estate class is the most neglected step is follow-up. A friend of mine, Jim Hathaway, always says, the deal is never done until the customer comes back. Now, you could argue about the merits of follow-up for real estate agents, but what we should never argue about is the merits for discipling those we have shared the gospel with, particularly those who have supposedly accepted. Our discipleship doesn't end because we've told them the gospel one time. If anything, Hopefully through this study and your life in general, you are learning we need to preach the gospel to ourselves and others all the time. We are not told to go and deliver the news once and be done. The picture of planting in soil 
will tell you how ludicrous that is. If you want to know how it works out when you try that in plants, I have a plant in my office I can show you. Uh, it doesn't end well because it takes ongoing effort. These souls, and when he quoted Stalin and said, uh, one death is a tragedy, a million deaths is a statistic, I, I, it's kind of true. If, if I tell you 500,000 people died yesterday, you're like, okay. If I tell you my uncle's girlfriend died, all of a sudden you're like, oh man, how's he doing? There's, there's, we can equate ourselves. We can empathize with individuals. We have difficulty empathizing with masses. So when we are talking about the soil and when we are talking about it, it is vital that we continue to disciple. And that's why it says here, healthy ecclesiology is missional. Now, some of you may think that's a big word, healthy. It just means not sick. Okay, ecclesiology. Ecclesiology is the study of uh, leadership in a church. The study of how churches are led. So when we talk about it being healthy, for churches to be led in a healthy manner, they must be missional. Mm -hmm. Meaning they don't tell the gospel once. Maybe every Christmas they'll share the gospel and then you're set till next Christmas. Something that's ongoing. To minister to people, we must continue to be missional. It's not something that comes easily. And I pointed you to the story in 1 Timothy 3. For those of you who are unfamiliar with 1 Timothy 3, it comes right after 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy 2 talks about leaders and what church leaders need to be. That's a discussion for a different day. I don't want to get into that now. But at the beginning of chapter 3, it says, it's a true saying that if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work which means it's, it's a good thing to want to be a pastor. And then it gives some qualifications. And then it says, not a novice. That's verse 6, sorry. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. When we are helping people with their discipleship, we need to make sure they're not being discipled by someone who doesn't know the gospel. When Achmed said, you're the only Christian I know who will show me, that is a legitimate complaint. That is something that we struggle with because we want to help people. We want to continue to give them the gospel. And yet, if they don't have mature Christian leaders around them, it's going to fall apart. So when we say, Healthy ecclesiology is missional. Biblical urgency demands willingness to exercise biblical patience so that as the gospel advances, the world can look at an ordinary church and by grace see a pillar and buttress of the truth. The verse I put there, 1 Timothy 3.15, reads this way. But if I tarry long that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, 
which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. These churches that we're building, which we're building by going out, sharing the gospel with people, inviting them to come and be discipled with us, as the churches grow that way, they will be a pillar and ground of the truth so that when others see us, they glorify God. And that is the goal in this. We need to be urgent, but patient in our urgency. And that urgent patience leads us to continue to disciple people. And we need to be growing our church that way. And that's where it says healthy churches or healthy churches are led that are missional. We need to go out on mission. So, taking up too much time, now you can't. Great, I guess I'll just give everyone an A this week. But let's, let's close in prayer. Dear God, we pray that you would give us an urgency, but an urgency wrapped in your peace that surpasses all understanding. That we would fear for those lost souls we come into contact with, like the man on the bridge, or the, the guy on the train tracks. That you would help us to do that. And you would help us to honor you through it all. We pray that as you speak to us to later today through your servant Travis, that our lives would be forever benefited. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.